You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. We're going to be concluding a series of messages which we've entitled Thrive, and yet Next week, we're going to begin, I think, a very important series of messages leading up to Easter entitled, The Foolishness of God. Now, for the first time in my lifetime, no fooling, Easter falls this year on April 1st, which some of us know is commonly called April Fool's Day. So we're going to use this opportunity to examine together Uh, why this message of the cross and the resurrection that maybe to those that don't have faith seems kind of bizarre that, that Christians celebrate this event surrounding death and then resurrection, and maybe they don't quite understand or how that makes sense. And we're going to look at how that some of that which others might view as foolish really is truly the wisdom and power of God that will bring hope into our lives. So we want to encourage you to come back next weekend as we kick off this series, but be inviting others as we have an opportunity to really lay out there over the next several weeks what our faith is all about. But first, this weekend, we're wrapping up an important series of messages entitled Thrive, that we've been seeking to answer the questions, what does it mean to really work for the best in all of our relationships, not just our marriage and family relationships, but our friendships, our relationships within the church, our relationships with people in our neighborhood, at work, old friends. And what does it mean to truly thrive, not just in our relationship with God, but in our relationship with others? So with that said, let's pray and ask God to really lead us through this time as we Open up the Bible and read from it. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for the time that we've had to worship you today. We thank you, Father, for how you're working in life of the church and the various ministries and outreach opportunities we have here at Southwest. And Father, we're just grateful for that. And we give you praise and thanks for how you're working in the life of the church. And yet, Father, as we open up your word today, I pray that you'll Really open our eyes to how you want to work in our relationships with each other, within our relationships with our spouse or our family, our kids or our parents or friends. And Father, and yet sometimes there's hurt and pain in relationships. And I pray, Father, that you'll take the words that I've shared and more importantly, the words that we're going to read from, from your word. And I pray that you'll apply that to every heart and every person here in such a way that we can see clearly a path to experience real healing, even in those relationships that are broken. And so I just pray, Father, that you'll really show up today in a way that's very profound and speak into our lives and speak into our relationships in a way that we know it's truly from you. We commit this time to you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, throughout this series, we've been looking at examples, both from the good and the bad, of King David, who was the most famous king of Israel. As the Bible has a lot to say about his life and records the various relationships that he had. Some of them were great relationships, and some of them were very strained. If you were here last week, we looked at the uh, troubled toxic relationship that David had with King Saul, his predecessor, and also one of his sons, Absalom. The week before that, we looked at this great friendship that David had with Jonathan, really a friendship for the ages. And the very first week of this series, we looked at David's troubled marriages. Yes, I say marriages because he had more than one. And, And even how his own unfaithfulness led to some brokenness there. On this final week of this message series entitled Healing, we want to begin by simply telling a story that you can read about in 2 Samuel 12, but I just want to share it with you today from my heart because this is a story that that follows the aftermath of David's adultery with Bathsheba. Maybe you've heard that story And unfortunately, the cover-up that followed. You see, as the king of Israel, David had a lot at his uh, access to be able to cover up or conceal his wrongdoing. And, And he actually thought that in the midst of all that, that he had deceived everyone. But the reality is that, as always, we can fool other people, maybe some of the time, but but we can never fool God. And when there's brokenness in our lives and even in our relationships, in our own heart, that even if we try to deceive others, even if we try to act like it's not there, the truth of it is, it is there. In David's life, God intervened into the muck and mire of his relationships by sending a prophet named David, uh, Nathan, and this prophet was sent by God, and, and, and God led Nathan to speak into David's life, and he did it through a very creative story that he told David. Nathan approached David, and he said, listen, king, there's this man who's a wealthy man, and he has all kinds of sheep and cattle, and, and he, he's really very well off. And he had some friends and family come into town, and he wanted to throw a party, but instead of taking one of his sheep and slaughtering it and providing a meal for the guest, he stole a lamb, a prized treasured lamb of a very poor man that lived nearby. He then slaughtered that treasured lamb of a a neighbor And then serve lamb chops to all of his family and friends. Well, as David hears this story, he's enraged. And he says, this man deserves to be executed. This man should pay back before he's executed four times the amount that he has stolen. And then Nathan, in the most moving four-word sermon recorded, simply looks at David and says, you are the man. Now, David had his faults. David had his sin. 
But the thing that I appreciate about King David, and I believe the reason why the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart, is that David, once confronted upon his sin, once confronted upon his wrongdoing and how he had contributed to broken relationships, David simply responds by saying, I have sinned against God. I have sinned against the Lord. Now, the good news is that David humbly acknowledged his sin against God. And as a result of his humility, he found forgiveness and hope for the future. But the bad news is that David had to unpack for the rest of his life the damage that his sin had caused to his relationships with others. Now, here's an application for us. Sometimes we want the quick fix for life's problems. We want the forgiveness. We want to have it all wiped away. But sometimes we're not willing to do the hard work to make amends to truly repair relationships. Now, I'm not suggesting that in four weeks of messages that we've uncovered all the principles from the Bible of how to truly thrive in our relationships. Yet my hope is that this series has got you thinking. My hope is that this series has has started to open up your mind and open up your heart to say, listen, it takes effort, it takes work to have great relationships. And maybe for some of you, the first step is to reach out to a trusted friend, maybe to reach out to a small group leader or church leader, or maybe even for some, a counselor, to get the real help you need so that you can have healthy relationships with those in your life. You see, just like David, when he was willing to acknowledge his personal wrongdoing, that was, a, that was important. But it's important for us not just to acknowledge our wrong and seek forgiveness and want that quick fix, and then to try to sweep under the rug the harm that we have caused in the lives of others. Or maybe for some of us, it's not sweeping under the rug the hurt that's been inflicted upon us. Maybe it's been hurt that's caused through damaging behavior or words or abandonment or neglect. But instead, our first point today, if you're taking notes, is that we must be willing to do the hard work of acknowledging the wounds that exist. One of the things that I love about examining the life of David is not only do we have the events of his life recorded in the Bible in First and Second Samuel, but we also have the inner thoughts of his heart and even the prayers that he wrote down and recorded for all time. And we can find these prayers in the Psalms. And so today, as we talk about healing, we're going to look a lot at the Psalms that David wrote. In Psalm 32, we read a graphic description of a time in David's life that he wasn't willing to acknowledge the devastating effects of sin. David writes in Psalm 32, verse 3, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. 
Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Can you relate to that? Boy, I I can. I can think of times in my life where there was something amiss. There was something wrong. There There were words or things I had said or done in relationship, and I hadn't yet acknowledged it. And I, I could feel that, that pressure. I could feel that things weren't right. I could even feel at times that alienation from God. You see, as we read in the Psalms, we learn that our spiritual condition has a real lasting effect, not only on our emotional health, but as this psalm points out, and even in Psalm 38, that's also listed in your message notes, that it can even affect our physical health. David describes the devastating impact of not acknowledging or seeking treatment for the wounds in our lives. Again, whether they were inflicted by others or whether they were self-inflicted, as they were for David, as he describes in the Psalms. Now, although we want to get on with the good news of healing this weekend, and yet we have to acknowledge that there's some hard work that we must be willing to do for real healing to take place. And the first step is to acknowledge that those wounds are there. We must be willing to seek forgiveness from God. We must be willing to humbly seek help. And then a very important step that sometimes people skip is make amends to others for the wounds that we have caused in their lives so that we can truly be healed so that they can truly be healed. Now, on the flip side of this, The Bible also says that when we have been sinned against, when we have been hurt by others, and there's wounds in our lives because of other people's behavior, other people's sin, the Bible talks about the importance of us having a heart that's willing to forgive. Possibly that sin that some of us need to acknowledge this weekend is bitterness and resentment that we've harbored in our hearts, and and how that that bitterness can even impact our spiritual, emotional, and even physical health. As I've shared before, resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Some of us have bottled up so much resentment and bitterness and, and we're holding these grudges toward other people. And, and, and sometimes we need to pull back and say, who am I really hurting here when I'm holding on to this resentment? I'm really hurting myself. So possibly for some of us this weekend, that's what we need to acknowledge, that there's some bitterness in our heart that we need to be willing to acknowledge. Now, this leads us to our second observation from David's life on the path of healing. He was, as he was struggling with this, he was also willing to make confession. In the Proverbs, we're reminded in Proverbs 28, verse 13, people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. You see, we won't really thrive in our lives and relationships 
as long as we try to conceal our sin and keep it under wraps. And yet in confession, we find mercy. In confession, we can find forgiveness. But, but what is confession? You know, it's one of those Bible words that we can throw out there and we can think we know what it means, but what does the word confess really mean? So I dug into that a little bit preparing for this message. And, and what I discovered is the word in the original language, especially in the Greek, the New Testament portion of the Bible, when that word confess is used, it, it means it can be translated also to say the same thing. You might say, well, why? How do you make sense of confess means to say the same thing? You just see to confess our sin means that we are willing to describe our sin as God describes sin. That as we acknowledge our sin and confess it to God and to others, that we call it what it is. You see, the Bible is very specific about what is sin. And sometimes we forget that. And sometimes in our culture, that gets kind of watered down. But it's important for us to acknowledge that the Bible is the written word of God and the Bible has truth for our lives. And so therefore, the Bible will speak into our lives what is right and what is wrong and what is sin. You see, it's so easy for us to to water that down. You know, have you ever noticed how the Bible describes when, when a married person is unfaithful to their spouse and has sexual relationships out of marriage? The Bible calls that adultery. And yet in our culture, sometimes that gets replaced with the person had an affair. It almost sounds poetic, right? See, we need to call it what it is. You know, the Bible says that drunkenness is a sin. But in our culture, we tend to say, well, I got a little bit tipsy or a little bit of a buzz. You see, there's power. There's, there's, it's, it's really revealing to hearts when we're willing to call sin what God calls it. One that gets a little closer to home for me is the Bible describes fits of rage as a sin. You know, it's so easy to, to kind of water that down and say, well, I got a little agitated. I'm a little bit temperamental. You see, this, this hits home close to me because as I share my personal story of how God has changed me in Christ, I often tell that the personal struggles I had with fits of rage. You see, I'm grateful that God's brought about changes in my life, but yet when I first became a follower of Jesus as a teenager, I, I had to come to grips with the fact that I'd been a pretty hot-headed young man. I had a bad temper. You see, I played athletics, and when I played basketball, if, I, if somebody gave me an elbow on one side of the floor, then when we got down the other end of the floor, I was going to give that elbow back. And I tended to be pretty hot-tempered. And I was known to kick things across the room, throw things across the room, slam my fist into wood, which was stupid. But uh, And, you know, I had to come to grips with it that was wrong, that that was a sin, and I needed to call it what it was, not just that I was temperamental, but that I had fits of rage. I'm glad the changes that God's brought about in my life, but the truth of it is, you know, like all of us, that old nature sometimes can creep up and we, it can raise its ugly head. 
Sometimes that still happens in my life. And I have to watch that. It happened a number of years ago when Jane and I were newlyweds. Actually, we were, by that, this point, young parents. We were living in Indianapolis. And we were having one of those days as we'd moved to a new city, moved to a new uh, apartment, a townhouse, because we had a, a baby and a toddler. And, you know, as young parents, things can get stressful sometimes when you're trying to juggle work and and parenthood and responsibilities of life. And, and on this particular day, Jane and I were just, let's be honest, we were having an argument. And I got a little bit hot. And I knew my old self, and I thought, okay, I need to, you know, I need to cool down here. And so, so I just told Jane, I'm going to go for a walk. And as I walked out the door, now this, this story is a little bit dated because I found a newspaper on the porch. I have, we haven't got a newspaper for years, but the newspaper was on the porch. By the way, I, I picked this one up at Panera because it had an article about Purdue, so that's why I picked it up. But uh, I'm walking out the door, and I'm, I'm still fuming. I mean, I'm, I'm ready to blow, and, and I walk out, and I see that newspaper, and I just reach down, and I'm mad at Jane, and I just threw it like that. I decided to throw it that way, so I didn't throw it in the baptistry. But what I didn't know was that Jane had followed me to the door, was standing there at the door. And I'll, I'll never forget, it's been years, but that paper hit Jane right in the chest. Now, this wasn't a time for me to try to excuse my sin. This wasn't a time for me to say, Jane, if I told you I'm thinking about trying out for the Colts for a long snapper, did that have enough oomph on it? When I saw the hurt in her face, I thought this is a time for me to call sin what it is. I said, Jane, I'm sorry. I just had a fit of rage. And I'm sorry that I hurt you. I'll never forget that look on her face. You see, it was a moment of truth for me. Am I going to call my sin the same thing God calls it? Or am I going to try to excuse it, justify it, minimize it, or call it something else? Now, for those of you who think, well, I don't need to confess my sin against anyone but God. Now, I know that God is the one that forgives ultimately. I get that. And yet, Jesus taught the importance of us making amends and forgiving each other. In fact, one one of his teachings, he said, even before we approach the throne of God, that, that if we have something against a brother or he has something against us, that we need to go make that right. And yes, King David confessed his sin to God, but I don't know if you've ever thought about it. He not only confessed his sin to Nathan, who confronted him, and to God, but he also wrote it down into the Psalms so that all the nation of Israel, as they recited the Psalms, and as they sang the Psalms, and even 3,000 years later, we can still read David's confession. Let's read it in Psalm 51. Verse 1. And by the way, I love how we can match up the Psalms to the different parts of David's life. If you read the heading at the beginning of Psalm 51 in most Bibles, it says, This was David's prayer after being confronted by Nathan with his sin with Bathsheba. 
In Psalm 51, this is what David says. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you only have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. I like how David calls it what it is. He truly confesses his sin to God, and by writing it down to all of Israel, he confesses it to the nation. He comes clean. Now, here's a question for each of us to consider this weekend. Is there a sin against God or someone else in our life that we need to confess? You see, for some of us, that's going to be the first step of healing in our life. To come clean about something maybe that we've buried and tried to conceal and tried to hide and sweep under the rug, but to truly come clean and say, listen, I need to confess this sin. Maybe for some of us, the first step toward real healing in a relationship is for us to acknowledge our sin and wrong to the person that that relationship is strained and to make amends and not wait till they maybe acknowledge their wrong, but we take the first step. If so, then I want to urge you, follow David's example. Not only acknowledge your sin, but confess it to God, and to those that you've wronged. You see, as we keep reading in Psalm 51, we see that David not only acknowledged his sin, that was a step toward healing. He not only confessed his sin, which was another important step to healing, but he also desired repentance. He desired true repentance. And by the way, there's a difference between confession and repentance. I think a lot of times people don't get that. I think a lot of people think to repent means simply to say you're sorry and to acknowledge you sinned. Well, that's confession. Let's look at the difference between confession and repentance. In verse 10, we read David's prayer continues in Psalm 51. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. I love this prayer. I love this song, because we see the heart of David. We see a heart of, not only of confession, but a heart of repentance. The Bible describes two kinds of sorrow. I don't know if you knew that. The Bible describes worldly sorrow, and in worldly sorrow, worldly sorrow is a sorry that you're sorry you got caught. Maybe you're even sorry for the consequences of your sin. You know, I'm a bit of a skeptic, but when I see somebody that's in the public eye get caught and they have that press conference and that tears coming down their cheek, I wonder, okay, is that real repentance? Again, maybe I'm a skeptic, but, or is that Is that just sorrow that he got caught? But the Bible also talks about a godly sorrow. 
A sorrow that says, even if nobody knows about this sin, even if I've never found out, I know God knows. And the Bible says that godly sorrow leads to repentance. Godly sorrow says that, you know, up in verse 4, David acknowledged that he had sinned against God. Now, now, we might ask ourselves, but David, didn't you sin against Bathsheba? Didn't you sin against her husband Uriah? Didn't you sin against the people of Israel when you tried to hide it? Yes, that's true. But, but David recognized that first and foremost, he had to wrestle with the fact that he had sinned against a God who had given him so much and that he needed to forget, seek forgiveness from God. You see, that's godly sorrow. And then not only did he stop there, but he says, I want you, God, to create in me a clean heart. Renew my spirit. Personally, in my own life, I can often tell when I've really at a point of repentance. Because now I'm no longer just seeking forgiveness, but I begin to cry out for God to change my heart. For God to bring real, lasting change. Real healing. You see, it's one thing to seek forgiveness, but it's another thing to seek to be changed. It's another thing to seek to really be healed in in your relationship with the Lord and healed in your relationship with others. You see, the word repent means to change your heart, to change your mind, which leads to a, a change of life. As humans, when we wrong someone else, the the temptation is to just to try to make it better by trying to make up for our wrongdoing. Instead Instead of really dealing with the wrong, we just try to cover it up and make up for it. You know, I think in marriage sometimes you think, well, if I just fix a nice dinner for for my spouse, then it'll make up for it. If I just get a nice card and express my, my appreciation. If I just buy some flowers or a piece of jewelry, I'll make up for it. I think sometimes with God, we think, okay, instead of me really acknowledging my sin against God, I'll just try to make up for it by doing good or maybe even giving a little bit more in the offering. And, and David says, that's not what God longs for. In Psalm 51 and verse 16, David prays, to God, you do not desire a sacrifice or I'd offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. The question when we sin against God or another human being is not just are we sorry, but are we willing to change? Are we willing to repent? David desired repentance, and that's why he found healing. How about you? How about me? David, who sinned in a big way, was willing to do the hard heart work. He was truly broken before God, and he laid that brokenness before God and his friend Nathan, who confronted him. And it was only then that he began to find healing. For those of you who find yourself right now in a strained relationship, maybe a troubled marriage, maybe a broken friendship, are you willing to do the hard heart work 
where you'll lay before God and maybe even before others your broken, contrite, and truly repentant heart. For some of us, it begins by even asking God, will you give me that broken and repentant heart? God, I know I'm not there yet, but will you give me that broken, repentant heart that David described in Psalm 51? You see, it's only then with true brokenness and true repentance that we can truly, our last point, the the path of healing, receive and give forgiveness. In Psalm 32, we started in Psalm 32, in verse 5, after David poured out how his resistance at first of confessing, then he says in verse 5, finally, I confess my sins to you and stop trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And here's the good news. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. I want to share with you some good news this morning. If you've been carrying guilt and shame around with you for days, weeks, months, years, God doesn't want you to carry that. God wants to remove your guilt. He wants to remove your shame. The question is, are you willing to take the path of real healing? You see, when we come to God with true brokenness and repentance, we don't find a heavenly father who points his finger at us and says, I told you so. Instead, we find a compassionate father who longs to forgive, who longs to remove our guilt. This is the good news of God's love. And this is the good news of the Christian message from the very beginning of Christianity, from the very beginning of the church. In the Bible, when we read about the beginning of the church, we don't have time to unpack all that, but in Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter stands up the first gospel message after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's thousands of people in Jerusalem gathered, and Peter stands up in front of a crowd of people and says, Jesus came to this earth to die for us so that we could be forgiven, and God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says the people were broken. They were cut to the heart, like David was in Psalm 51. And Peter replied in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. One of the reasons that we emphasize baptism here at Southwest so much is because we want to influence everyone we can to have this total assurance, this full assurance of forgiveness of sins. And now we have this promise of forgiveness of sins that God promises to all those who repent, truly repent, and are baptized to find that healing, to find that forgiveness, but also to find the empowerment of God's Spirit to allow you to live a changed new life. Do you have that assurance? Do you have that hope? I hope you do. You see, the same good news Peter preached 2,000 years ago is still available today. And that's why we have water ready every weekend. It's because we want everybody that worships here to have that full assurance that they're forgiven by God. Now, of course, 
We're told that if we've truly received God's forgiveness, we'll forgive others. The last Bible passage in the notes, we don't have time to read it, but it ends with this simple but powerful sentence, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Possibly some of us, the healing that we long for in our lives and in our relationships will only happen when we're willing to to let go of that bitterness and resentment and truly forgive someone else. You see, it's both in giving and receiving forgiveness. Our hope is today that you've been able to see the path of true spiritual healing. It's that of acknowledging our wrong, acknowledging our sin, confessing it to God and those that we've hurt, repenting, truly having a heart change, a broken and contrite spirit, and then receiving from God the forgiveness that he wants to pour into our lives, and in turn then learning how to give that forgiveness to others. It's not necessarily easy, but it's worth it to live a healed life and have healed relationships. But you see, this healing is only possible because of God's amazing love and forgiveness that we can find in Jesus Christ. As we close all of our worship gatherings, we close with a time of communion. And I want to urge you, as, as you look at 1 John 1, we're told that, that If we are in the light as he is in the light that we have fellowship with one another, we can have healed relationships, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, this forgiveness we celebrate as a church is only possible because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Let's allow this time of communion to be a healing time. Let's allow this time of communion to be a time as the trays are passed, as the pieces of bread are taken to remind us that Jesus is real, he had a body. As we take the cup to remember what it took on his part for us to be forgiven of of God Almighty, let's also allow ourselves to have before God a, a broken heart that we confess to him sin and wrongdoing in our life. And maybe even for some of us, it's making the decision during this time of communion that we're going to make amends with someone else or that we're going to decide to forgive and let go of that which we've been holding on to. Let's truly allow this to be a time of healing as we approach God now in this time of communion. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to Southwest Church Teaching Ministries. We are a community of people committed to following Jesus and making disciples. Please join us for one of our three weekly gatherings, Saturdays at 5.30 p.m., Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and 11.15 a.m.